You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hey everyone, I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. I've been blogging at MessyJesusBusiness.com since 2010. Messy Jesus Business, the blog, and now the podcast, explores how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. Our listener survey is open and accepting responses. Head over to MessyJesusBusiness.com and give us your input. Thanks! Now, on to our guest. In this episode, I speak with Stina Kilsmeyer cook about all kinds of Messy Jesus Business. Stina Kilsmeyer cook is a writer from the cold north where she raises kids, maxes out her library card, and is usually late for church. Her spiritual memoir, Blessed Are the Nuns, Mixed Faith Marriage and My Search for Spiritual Community, was just released in September 2020. She works as the Director of Communications at the Collegeville Institute, where she is the Managing Editor of Bearings Online. We discuss mixed faith marriage and wrestling with questions of faith and bridging Protestant and Catholic divides. We also talk about the nuns and nuns movement, and we've dived down into the very essence of faith. What is faith exactly? And what does mystery have to do with faith? Enjoy. Hi, Stina. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. I'm wondering if before we get into the questions, I have a lot prepared for you. I'm so excited about your, your new book. If you would read an excerpt for us, please. Sure. And by the way, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations. The Thank book you. Is Blessed are the nuns, mixed faith marriage, and my search for spiritual community. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me on. I'm, I'm really stoked to be here. So yeah, so this is an excerpt from my book, Blessed are the nuns. Um, it comes towards the end of the book. Uh, and I guess for a setup, I don't know if there's much setup needed. Maybe I'll, I'll go into it afterwards if, if anything needs further explanation. But the title of the chapter is called Nun's Picnic. <clears throat> the nuns tell me they want to present on the nuns and nuns idea at their September community meeting in a few weeks. There isn't much for me to do but wait. Well, wait and finally introduce Josh to the nuns. Sister Suzanne sent out an invitation to the spiritual formation group months ago, and I had put it on our shared Google calendar. During the last week of August, the nuns host a picnic in a park for the visitation companions. When Josh and I talked through our end of summer plans about whether we can squeeze in a camping trip to the North Shore of Lake Superior, I remind him of the picnic. We have to go, I say, pointing to the purple shaded item on the calendar on my computer screen. I committed months ago, and you really haven't met the nuns yet. Months later, when I asked Josh what he remembers about the picnic, he said he had a good time. You did, I said. I wasn't sure. 
Of course I did, he said. The sisters are so warm. They make you feel welcome right away. It was true. The sisters seem to exude joy whenever I see them. Sister Catherine gives me a hug and a humongous smile, sometimes clapping her hands together in delight. Sister Karen leans in to ask me how the writing is going, how the children are doing in school. Sister Mary Frances's rich alto voice declares Stina when she makes eye contact with me, as though I were the prodigal daughter returning home. They are hard not to love. The nun's picnic is like this, wooden picnic benches in a park by the Mississippi River, a grove of towering cottonwood trees casting dappled shade on end of summer grass, kids running across the, about the lawn, spinning, cartwheeling, leaping like little goats. The normal constraints of the city, the watch out for broken glass and hold my hand when you cross the street are blissfully unnecessary. We are picnicking by the river and it is glorious. I carry a bowl of salad for the potluck, two silver serving spoons poking out like bunny ears and add it to a crowded table. Sister Suzanne bustles about, opening coolers and setting up plastic cutlery. The nuns gush and shake hands with Josh. So wonderful to finally meet you, Josh. He makes small talk with the others. Someone hands us each a bottled water that sweats with water droplets. Josh is with me, meeting the sisters and other visitation companions, and it is a good thing. We pile our plates with burgers, hot dogs, potato chips, salad, watermelon. My daughter sprawls across my lap, red juice dripping down her hands, listening to the adults chatter about her. Someone has brought blue camp chairs, the kind that fold up like umbrellas, and my son sits with his, class, his paper plate on his lap. Sister Karen offers him a small can of A&W root beer, and he takes tiny sips before carefully placing it back into the cup holder. We wear name tags and I meet new people, but mostly I watch Josh talking to the sisters, smiling. He laughs and they laugh, and later Sister Karen tells me, you didn't tell us your husband was so handsome. At the end of the picnic, the sisters invite us to join them in evening prayer. They pass around booklets so worn and soft that I worry the stapled bindings will break, shedding whole pages across the lawn. We sing hymns and recite prayers, and occasionally I shoot glances over to Josh, who is sitting at a picnic table on the edge of our circle, looking at his phone. The kids grumble, this is boring, and I hand them potato chips one by one. We are a small circle, a cluster of Catholic sisters and lay people, joining our words to an ancient prayer form. Josh sits on the outside, not participating. He's only here because of me, because of duty, because he knows our marriage only works when we try to love what the other loves. It's part of the commitment we have both made. When Josh was in the mycology club in graduate school, I would join his friends for forays to hunt for chanterelles and chicken of the woods and forest preserves, not because I am crazy about mushroom, but because he was. Loving each other doesn't mean giving up our distinct beliefs or practices. Loving each other means we seek to understand and hold what the other holds sacred. Well, I'd love to hear about your journey. And obviously, when people read your book, they'll really get a sense of it. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, I'm wondering how you would summarize it now of how you got to this point of writing uh, a really vulnerable memoir about uh, how to be in a a mixed marriage at, at this time? I attended a Collegeville Institute writing workshop before I was on staff there. I, had, I work there now as the director of communications, but back in 2014, I was pregnant with our second born Rowan and uh, had been mostly a stay-at-home parent and was just, just kind of like just doing the motherhood thing and 
kind of just trying to figure out, well, what am I, like, what else am I called to beyond this, this role? And um, so I was in a writing group. One of my friends was like, hey, you should apply for one of these writing workshops. So I went to a writing workshop, pregnant, like knowing I was going to have a baby soon. And that was right around the same time that Josh was like, I don't think I can do the Christian thing anymore. Um, so just for anyone listening, our story is that we both got married um, or we, we met and got married when we were both pretty devout Christians. And then several years after our wedding, my husband said that he couldn't, he couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't do the, the religious stuff anymore. So I was kind of reeling, trying to figure out well, like, how do I process this? Like, how do I understand what my life and faith looks like now? Because I had been built or I had been taught my whole life that to have a healthy uh, marriage, you needed to both have a mutual love of Christ. And that was kind of like the foundation. It was like the rock, right? That you needed to have um, undergirding everything. And so I didn't know how to process it. So I was writing in my journal and that's one form of writing, right? Um, writing just as a way to kind of process your own life. But in and through getting accepted to this writing workshop, I was like, okay, like I have to submit 5,000 words. I have this deadline. And so, you know, and it was creative nonfiction. So I was like, well, this is the thing that I am like the bone that I'm chewing on right now is like, how do I do this? And so I wrote these 5,000 words and, you know, everything that has gone to a more public audience beyond my journal is something that I always share with Josh to make sure that he feels like, like I'm not invading his privacy. And I tried to just write about my experience and not his faith's experience beyond just the way that it has impacted me in my life. So when I went to this writing workshop and had 12 people who I didn't know reading this very vulnerable like piece of writing that I'd done, it was really scary and it was hard. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want anyone else to ever read anything like this. So I but I also got a lot of really positive feedback. And so, and there's some real encouragement from the writing instructor. And so I was like, okay, there's something here. Maybe it, maybe this is part of my vocation that I'm trying to tease out, but it doesn't mean I necessarily have to just write on this one subject. So I took that essay, I put it in a drawer for like a year. And then about a year later, you know, as you get a little bit of distance from any kind of experience, you have a different relationship then to what you've written. And, and so at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit this essay and I'm going to try submitting it some places. And I just felt more confident, I guess. And it got published in Image Journal. And that was like this huge, that was like a huge breakthrough for me because it was this sign. It felt like that, like, okay, like you're on the right track. Like this is something that it's not just an internal calling, but there's some, there's some validation happening here. And so in and through that experience, so that was, that was also really scary though, just to be like, okay, other people are going to read this. It's not just a small little workshop, but getting reader feedback and um, hearing from people in our lives who maybe didn't know this about our, our journey um, was actually really, it was really positive. So, you know, I had some moments where I was like, oh, like the vulnerability hangover of like, why did I feel like I needed to share this with the world? But also hearing from people saying, you know, I'm navigating this exact same dynamic in my relationship and I have not found any really honest story about what it looks like then to your own faith if you someone you love walks away from the church. And I myself had gone looking for books because that's as someone who loves to read, you know, it's like, where do I go and how to figure out and understand this experience that I have? You go and search the bookshelves. Like what, what are the other people who are in mixed faith marriages doing and how are they understanding their lives? And the things that I found were mostly about like, well, how do you then try to pray your husband back to faith? Or how do you try to 
you know, like, like viewing this as like some kind of tragedy. And I just knew that, like, I was like, if I'm going to stay married for the next, you know, 50 years, uh, Lord willing, like, I can't view this as a tragedy. Like, I need to find a different frame and a different way of understanding this. So in some ways, I was just writing because I wished that I'd had another model. I wished I'd had something to read that connected with my experience that wasn't um, purely couched in this language around you know, how do I bring my husband to the, to my side uh, versus finding grace and love and God's goodness in and through something that, you know, I wasn't expecting and yet is not unredeemable. Thank you so much for sharing. And I think it's worth noting for our listeners who have not yet read the book that <laughs> you come from an evangelical tradition as well. Yes. So, so there's sort of this worldview of like, you have to accept Jesus in your heart. You have to have right belief to, in order to be saved and experience salvation. And so does that theology still kind of loom over your family life or how do you do that dance? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think evangelical institutions, you know, really formed my faith. And like I, you know, that's, we, we went to Wheaton College, which is a very evangelical college. And that's where I learned to love Jesus. So like, I don't want to poo-poo that tradition in any way because it, it shaped me and brought me to the place where I am now. And yet I think there are some damaging things about that kind of worldview where there just is a lot of fear, it feels like, in relating to people outside of your theological, um, I don't know, your narrow theological box, for lack of a better word. And I do know evangelicals who are not like that, who mm -hmm. have a broader understanding and who have a lot of relationships with people who are believed differently than they do. But I think, you know, so it just depends on the flavor, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, yeah, if you just don't have a lot of experience relating to people who have a very different understanding, either different faiths or um, understand or, who you know, don't believe in anything, then when you encounter that, there's just, yeah, a lot of fear. It's like, well, unless you do these X, Y, Z things, you are going to be cut off from God's love forever. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that fear, that was something that was, that's one of the big trajectories in the story is I hope is moving from a place of fear to a place of trust, mm -hmm. not, you know, trusting that God can still be good in the lives of the people who believe differently than we do. But one of the things that I find fascinating about you, Christina, is like, yeah, you come from this evangelical tradition. There's a, that fear, this sometimes this culture of narrowness and also like separation from more traditional forms of Christian faith, such as Catholicism. And here you are committed now to being a visitation companion. So the visitation nuns who are in the Twin Cities, you are what's like an associate or in my congregation, the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, we call the lay people who partner with us and live our charism affiliates. So you're committed to the same sort of like, oh, I'm walking with these, these nuns and I'm praying with them. I'm praying that praying the liturgy, the hours, the divine office. I'm committing to their values. I pray to the saints <laughs> and, and yet you're totally you and rooted in where you come from and who you are. So I see you as a person who's sort of bridging a lot of worlds and I'm wondering how that is for you. The book starts out talking about Josh's faith shift of walking away from Christianity, but then it really, the spotlight turns back to my own spiritual journey and mm -hmm. losing any sense of certainty around 
this kind of worldview, like I was saying in the evangelical institutions that I was raised in. It's like suddenly everything feels up for grabs, you know, so what do I believe to be true and how do I know that it's true? Yeah, so I think for me, being in a place of just real doubt, of real questioning, of real wrestling, it became imperative to start exploring and looking at traditions within the Christian, you know, world, but that were different than my own because I think I just needed new lenses um, to look at the stories and the scriptures and the -hmm. theology that I had been raised with because I no longer knew how to compute, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. just like, like it no longer was working the way it had once worked. And so for me, I think realizing that there was this whole tradition and whole history that I had been kind of cut off from as a Protestant, you know, a lot of Protestant churches We'll talk about, you know, whoever was the founder of their denomination or that history, but then it's like, that's kind of it. It's like the early church and then it's like, you know, Luther or whatever. And so to realize, oh, actually there's a lot of other church history that I don't need to be scared of exploring that actually when I interviewed Kathleen Norris, who's a writer that I really respect, she is also a Protestant and she said, you know, the Benedictine spirituality is something that Benedict predates these major major schisms in the church of the Eastern Orthodox and, you know, looking at how that is actually a common inheritance. Monastic traditions are a common inheritance for Mm -hmm. all Christians, even if you come from a Protestant denomination. And so I think that kind of gave me some permission to say, okay, I'm being invited into this community. I'm not being just like a voyeur or like, or appropriating a tradition that's not mine, that this is actually the common inheritance of all Christians. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the visitation order does have a more recent history, you know, in the 1600s in terms of when it was founded. But I think also too, just the way that the sisters themselves just kind of modeled that openness and acceptance and the visitation charism is very much around this relationality and just mm. um, hospitality and um, being willing to an ac- to accompany and be present with um, just anyone in the neighborhood you mm. know and so as someone who lives in that neighborhood I kind of feel like I live in the cloister like I live in the cloister or I live in the I don't know the geographic location where these sisters are based and so mm-hmm. it's it's more about you know joining with something that's already there and that. Um, and I also found too, as someone who was raised with a real individual understanding of faith, you know, it's really about your personal piety and about your walk with Jesus. And I still think that it's important for us to examine our hearts and our own individual orientation to God and all that. But I think realizing like, oh, I can be invited into a community that's reading the scriptures together, that's praying together, that's doing these disciplines together. And I just, I think I just really needed that in a season where it's like, I just don't know how to pray on my own, or I don't know, Mm. I don't know how to do some of these things by myself. And just realizing that there were other models and other ways, especially as someone who didn't have the traditional nuclear families coming to church on Sundays, which um, just felt lonely. It felt lonely. Mm. And when I was at the monastery, I just felt you know, more normal. <laughs> like, yeah. like the, I just was another person. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, um, you know, painting that picture. That's beautiful. And it makes a lot of sense to me that, that you felt at home and I'm really glad. I hope that people, all people feel at home with, with nuns and sisters, of course. <laughs> that's, that's my dream. <laughs> uh, and so now you are, you're, you're living this life of loving your husband, Josh, doing the dance of 
exposing your children to all sorts of realities, continuing to pray with the nuns, attending your Protestant church, <laughs> lots of different things. And, you know, and as I was reading your book, the, the question that emerged for me is, what is faith for you and what is doubt? Yeah, well, I think that that's what I try to complicate a little bit in, mm -hmm. this, in the memoir. And it is just a, it is a memoir, so it isn't trying to be a, theo a theological, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I think all people can be theologians in the sense that we all have a story about our relationship with God that holds truth. But I think for me, it was really important to kind of, yeah, muddy those boundaries between belief and disbelief, because I think, at least in the tradition that I was raised in, there were really clear like lines around, okay, if you pray this prayer, if you mentally assent to these kind of key things around Jesus dying for my sins, X, Y, Z, you know, if you, if you believe these or mentally believe these things, then that's, that's, that's the boundary line. Um, whereas I think on any given day, you know, any thought can come in your head, like as you're going about your day around like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder about this, you know, and it's like, well, does that mean that I then cross over the line to disbelief because I am now wondering about this theological tenet that, you know, I was taught my whole life, you needed to believe in order to be a Christian. Does that make me then not a Christian? And I don't think that that's true. I think that, you know, we need to have a lot more grace for people who are questioning and wrestling. And then I think, though, it, it does come down to a place then, do you, or then are you choosing then to identify as, as a Christian? Are you choosing to continue wrestling or are you at the point where you want to walk away from, from wrestling with faith um, or wrestling with the scriptures? And I landed on the side of, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep wrestling, even though those black and white lines sometimes are blurry, you know? Um, and I think for Josh, be, and I think this is in part because of the tradition that he was raised in too, is that if you are at the end of the day saying, well, I just don't know if I believe this part anymore, then it feels more intellectually and emotionally honest to then say, well, then I'm just, I'm just, I just need to walk away, you know? And I think, you know, his story is his own story to tell. There are a lot of reasons for that for him beyond just can I mentally, you know, agree to these tenets? But yeah, so I guess for me, what, if, what faith is, is dressing for the weather and continuing to walk anyway, you know, like no matter what it is, whether, so there's one par or chapter where I talk about the difference between, you know, like going for a walk in a wintry mix, you know, we get the wintry mix weather a lot here in the Midwest where it's, it's maybe hovering between, you know, 31 and 34 degrees. And if there's moisture coming down, then it can switch from a drizzly kind of rain to snow, right? And so I use that metaphor to kind of talk about, well, where is this line between doubt and faith between a Christian and a non-Christian? This binary that we've set up um, in the church around what does it mean to be a believer or, or a, an apostate, you know? And I think that for me, it's like, well, sometimes I'm on the 32 degrees or I'm on the 31 degrees side. And sometimes I'm, the, I'm on the 34 degree side, but I'm going to continue to dress for the weather and walk anyway. And I think that that's what faith is, is that you're continuing to walk in the rhythms of the church. You're continuing to put your trust in God, even if, you know, whatever's happened in the spiritual weather that's going on isn't always consistent. And just making that just normal. Like that, if you talk to any Christian, they're going to say, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. You know, we go through ups and downs and, and a lot of variation in our, in our spiritual walk. So 
I think then, yeah, on the flip side, then it's like, well, then choosing no longer, choosing not to walk any longer um, or choosing not to, to be on this path or, or to identify with this tradition. And from my end, I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of integrity in some ways to be able to then say, I'm going to make that choice, even though it's going to cost me some of my family relationships. It's going to mean that I no longer have this place of belonging. You know, I think that we need to have a lot of compassion uh, for what that journey looks like and not, you know, paint it in this overly negative light. Because I think, too, can we just trust that even if people are traveling in a different way than we are, that God is still good. And I don't have the answers for what that actually means in any kind of real way uh, related to things like salvation or, you know, some of these other doctrinal questions. But I mean, what other option do we have but then to continue walking and, and just trusting that maybe God will make this more clear as we keep going? Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> well put. <laughs> you're, and I think what you're really uh, surfacing here is the messiness of it and, and how some of us choose to embrace the identity and to do the struggle with faith and doubt within the context of the institutional religion or the faith community. And some of us say, yeah, I can't really claim this identity authentically, so I'm going to wrestle on the outside, <laughs> right? And, and I think that's a lot of like what's going on in our larger society in the, in the macrocosm is we all are people of, on journeys of um, exploring deep questions, exploring meaning, exploring belonging, trying to, to come to a sense of clarity and certitude about things. But the more we learn and the more we discover, if we're being honest with ourselves, most of the time we're going into the places that are gray and muddy and murky and, right? and it's it's that's the messiness of faith and discipleship from my point of view so yeah that's that's well said so you continue to claim the identity of christian but you and josh might actually be of total like heart and mind <laughs> yeah i mean in some areas definitely um yeah. i mean and then there's others that we're just totally not you know so yeah, yeah. like it, it's a real mix and um mm -hmm. and i think that the the loss is is in a place of belonging you know mm -hmm. of like i think when you are able to claim like an identity in a community there's a real sense of understanding then who you are and you know what you you know we all have different vocations, but Christians have a very distinct one, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mm -hmm. mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so that becomes the animating sort of frame in which we understand how do we make our choices. And so if you no longer have that shared frame or sh shared language, it is really hard because suddenly now you're having to figure out different ways of communicating. And there still are, you know, we still share many of the same values, um, but I think it's more like, where do you find, like, we all need community, we all need support, we all need people around us to kind of help us live the lives that, you know, reflect goodness and truth and, and all that good stuff. So like, mm. and there are lots of agnostics out there living those lives. And so mm -hmm. I think it's just being more creative about, well, then how do we find community together? And mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of community, one of the things I wanted to ask for your updates about is the Interfaith Supper Club that you you and Josh formed, invited other couples over to your house. How's that going? Yeah, so we've met over Zoom, you know, it's just so pandemic land, everything is like upended. But yeah, no, we're still we're still meeting. Um, we've been we've met over Zoom. And actually, the day that my book launched, um, mm -hmm. we did like an outdoor kind of socially distant masked, like sort of outdoor celebration. That was the first time we kind of had all been back together 
But yeah, no, it's been really great. And honestly, the the church that I attend um, with the book coming out too has been, is like, so these events are coming soon in the next month, but they're going to have like a panel of, uh, on Zoom of interfaith families at the church to be able to talk about their experiences. And mm. I've just been so grateful that I'm in a faith community that has been open and willing to create spaces for interfaith families, because that's, that's part of what makes it so hard. It's just this feeling of isolation and loneliness. And like, you know, it's just a very particular experience to show up at church um, without your spouse or to try to figure out how to fit in with other families where you're both not equally invested. Mm -hmm. Right. So the interfaith supper club, it, there were all, you know, couples where there's one Christian and one non-Christian and yeah, it's been a really sweet space um, mm. for both of us just to, and, and for our kids too, I think just to realize that there's like lots of other kids at the church who have this dynamic in their um, parents' lives and so that they're seeing that this is normal. How are things going with the Twin Cities Nuns and Nuns group? Yeah, Nuns and Nuns is still happening as well. Um, so yeah, Nuns and Nuns is this really sweet community that is not just in the Twin Cities, but nationwide. And, you know, their little chapters, you guys have one, right? There's one in Chicago. Mm -hmm. One in Chicago. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we meet twice a month. And since the pandemic started, it's all been on Zoom. Each gathering has a sister and a non-sister kind of paired together and facilitate conversation. And it's, yeah, it's been really great. It's been a wonderful place to continue to have some of these conversations around faith and trust and what does it look like? And to feel like, you know, there's no expectation that you have to believe anything to participate, which I think is part of what makes communities like this hard in institutions like the mm-hmm. church, because mm-hmm. I think people who are like, well, I don't really, I'm not a Christian or I don't know what I believe. I think there's this, just this barrier of like, well, then I, I'm not going to just go into a church and join a small group, you know? Oh yeah. 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 I, and as you say that, it reminds me how, um, uh, I think, you know, some decades before I came to my community, the Franciscan sisters of perpetual adoration here in La Crosse, Wisconsin, the, I think the sisters in my congregation were intuiting this need for places that would allow groups to mix. And that led to their foundation of our three spirituality centers, Mm -hmm. which are totally places of hospitality to anyone who is a spiritual seeker of any sort. And so people of all sorts of faith journeys and backgrounds come, believers, non-believers, people who are interspiritual and and they gather around the the questions of being human and and mm. um, and doing you know uh, sometimes conversations about spiritual practices and and action but but oftentimes it'll be it'll be something like what is how do we handle grief or mm-hmm. how do we handle mental illness or how do we handle the fact that climate change is mm-hmm. <laughs> causing you know causing lots of challenges as well it's beautiful to know that there's other formats that are merging to kind mm-hmm. of complement what already exists in, a, in several spirituality centers yeah so i'm glad to hear nuns and nuns is still strong going strong for you this has been great there's been there's so much i feel like we could talk for hours and hours but we won't want to keep the podcast episode <laughs> digestible. So I just have two last questions for you, Stina. Uh, the first is for you personally, what is discipleship? Discipleship. Wow. I think it's inherently relational. And I think in the context of the Christian church, 
it looks like a relationship with a mentor who models the spiritual disciplines, spiritual maturity. I think that when we talk about faith formation, there are certain things that, you know, depending on your age and maturity and the faith, like you need support and accountability and just good theology, right? Like there's a lot of bad theology out there. So I think discipleship really is um, inherently relational. And, and I think that that's part of what nuns and nuns and some of these other kind of alternative spiritual communities, why they're attractive to people is because I think everyone is looking for wisdom and what does it look like to live a good life? Like, what does it look like to live a holy life? A life that's not just bound up in my own ego and in my own self, but is unto others. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. I, I guess I, I, I don't know. And to the discipleship, it's, it's, I mean, ultimately it's what it, being a disciple is following, following Jesus very closely. Mm. Right. But I think that at least for me, I think maybe this has been the big swing that I've experienced as a post evangelical is go is leaning much more into community than I did before in terms of helping me understand what it looks like to be a Christian that I'm not a Christian. I, nobody can be a Christian all by themselves. Nobody can be a Christian totally alone. Like we actually really need each other to be the full body of Christ. And so I think discipleship is, is yeah, trying to find your place within that body and mm. being formed in a way where, you know, there's good fruit. There's good, there's good fruit coming from, mm. from your participation in the body of Christ. Um, That's beautiful. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And as you say that, I actually have this image of like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> if we are all part of the body of Christ, like we want to be a healthy part of the body, right? We right. don't want to be like a, an infected arm or a, <laughs> a weak arm or, yeah. <laughs> or something like this, but we want to contribute to the, to the wellness and the, the overall common good ultimately. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm really hearing from you this important acknowledgement about how we can only really follow Jesus with each other, right? right. And, and, and it is in relationship with each other that we come to be in better relationship with Christ. Right. So, so that's beautiful. Mm, thank you so much. Wow. So there's, there's a lot to this. And I just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your story, your truth, your perspective, your experience, and to doing this dance of faith and doubt and community and searching and seeking with such integrity, with such authenticity. Yet I know it could be a struggle. So I'm wondering for you, what is messy about all this? Oh, everything. Absolutely. It's so much easier to have a black and white frame. You know, it's so much easier to just slide into the, the, the puzzle piece that's, you know, to just fit. Oh, everything is working, you know, for me. I fit the demographic or I fit this. It would be so much easier if Josh was a Christian. No, no doubt about it. We wouldn't have to be creative and trying to figure out, you know, alternative forms of community. So it's messy. And I think that um, the book, I'm hoping shows a realistic, you know, of grieving. Like, I think that there can be a grieving process in mm -hmm. and through, this is what I thought life was going to be. And this is the way it is. And we all have that to some degree, whether you're in the specific <laughs> dynamic of a mixed faith marriage, or if you just had a certain idea about what you thought God was going to do in your life or what you, you would be. So I think mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, it's messy because it's reckoning, you know, with, um, 
maybe smashed ideals, you know, mm. and realizing that this path looks different than I thought it would, but maybe this is actually the journey that God had for me all along and, and that there are companions here too, you know, mm. in the, in this. So it feels messy because it isn't always obvious. And sometimes you feel like you're bushwhacking and sometimes you feel like, <laughs> you're like, I, I don't know what the next step might be. Mm-hmm. But I think in, at least in my case, I, I found that there's just so many more people out here in this, in this non, in this very gray area than um, maybe I had originally imagined. And that mm-hmm. um, you can still, that God is still good in these places. So mm. Yeah. Amen. God is good. <laughs> and we can trust in God's goodness, even though we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. Oh, thank you so much, Dina. Thank, thank you. you. Such an honor. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add? No, just, um, you know, if people want to find me online, I'm stinakc.com and on all the social media platforms, I'm stina.kc. So mm-hmm. I'd love to, you know, if people are in interfaith relationships or, or, or love someone who's walked away from the church or are, you know, like it can be, a, it can be lonely. So I guess I just want to say, mm. come connect if, if that's something that you feel like you need, um, And just thank you so much for for the time to have this conversation. It's been really great. My pleasure. I invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Holy mystery. God of wonder. God of goodness. Open our hearts and open our minds to understanding and appreciating all people, no matter their faith traditions, no matter if they identify with a tradition or not. Help us to seek you and to follow your ways, to praise you and to be instruments of your holy presence. May we respect those who are different from us. May we respect those who have no faith tradition. May we respect those who have a faith tradition different than our own. May we seek to know the truth of your word and find common ground among the many faith traditions and mysteries among us. May we recognize that we share a common humanity. Help us to be people of compassion and understanding. Help us to appreciate our diversity. Come among us and help us know your peace. Amen. That's another episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced, hosted, and edited by me, Sister Julia Walsh, with assistance from Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, 
Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, could you please do a few things? Share with your friends, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, and leave us a review. Plus, I'd love it if you could support us on Patreon. Thanks! Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. Thanks! I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.